Our thanks to the praise team and Lynn for leading us in worship this morning, and indeed, Christ alone holds us fast. If you could lose your salvation, you would, because it would be your responsibility. But thankfully, our salvation is firm in the grasp of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have some of those, uh, some guests with us this morning. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet, we do welcome you. Turn with me, if you would, again today to Matthew chapter 1, and then we're going to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be about the New Testament this morning. Uh, so, the if you don't have a Bible, we want you to follow along. There are pew Bibles this these particular passages of Scripture are on page 807 for Matthew and 1001 for Hebrews. We have been preaching a series of messages entitled The Cradle and the Cross. And we began the first Sunday in uh, December. And I won't finish this morning. I think we will finish next Sunday morning. But these series of messages that are focused on what it means to be forgiven of our sins. And it's quite a bit more than we pray, and we should pray, that we confess our sins before the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. We should pray that. But to God it was much more costly than just granting forgiveness, and that's what we've been focused on over these past few Sundays. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel telling Joseph, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Savior. Doesn't mean teacher doesn't mean good guy that has a lot to offer us. It means Savior. And then, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. And we looked at this last Sunday morning. Uh, I want to read the first four verses, but primarily verse 3. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Talked about that briefly last Sunday morning. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Focusing on that uh, portion of Scripture in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect the Savior? If we neglect this Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the great promise that you indeed hold us fast. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 as he closed out that, that wonderful epistle 
those verses that teach us that there is neither height nor depth, there is no tribulation, therefore there is no persecution, there is nothing in our life, inwardly, nothing outside that would persecute us. Father, that prohibits the love of your Son. So we thank you for that truth today. Where we are ignorant, teach us this morning. Where we are sinful, convict us. And where we need to learn of you, teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeff, thank you for taking care of all of these. If, if you would, the first slide. Last Sunday morning, we, we opened with uh, talking about why God chose words to communicate to mankind who he is. Now, I'm going to bring this hopefully full circle for you this morning. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. You've heard that uh, it's been said, of course, that mankind is the crown of God's creation. And I think that the Bible bears that is a witness to that truth. So, not to, uh, obviously, we will not read the first, the entire chapter, but I want you to see something. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. So he didn't paint a picture for us. There are words that communicate this. Now, from verse 3 through verse 25, in fact, look at verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So God speaks the universe into existence. All of the physical laws that govern the universe occurred simultaneously when he spoke. Yet there's a change beginning in verse 26. And verse 26 says, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Only when Adam is created does God speak this statement of intent. No intention for the others other than a display of his creative power and ability. In fact, from verse 3 through verse 25, everything that's created is for this moment. Everything for the creation of man. Who we are and our purpose was not voiced from Adam's lips. I may ask you, what do you think your purpose is in life? And we'll, people will conjure up all sorts of, of iterations of what their purpose is in life. But Adam didn't say this. 
There's no statement of intent from Adam. The triune God says this. So here, out of the gate, if you please, God says, I'm making man for this purpose. Let us make man in our image, he says. And he says that with the intent of creating a special creation. There are those that will teach us. We'll look at more of this when we get back to 1 Peter chapter 2. But there are those that will tell us that man is not any more important than the whales or the spotted owls or the fish of the sea ad infinitum. What does God say? We are different. We are not the same. Now, biologically, we have certain systems that are similar. But there's more to man and woman than being biology. Mankind is to look upward. It's to look to his maker. It's not to look inward, because when we look inwardly, we create an idol. And we're not to look downward at the wonder and beauty and splendor of God's nature, which is wondrous, which is beautiful, but it was created for the intent that he stated in 126. You think the animals think that the creation is beautiful? You think the animals think that the creation is wondrous? Do you think that they think at all? Os Guinness says that the true meaning of humanity, individually and collectively, is the meaning that God designed humanity to have. There it is. And later, he calls each person, each one of you this morning, and the preacher, he calls each person to understand why we are different and to understand that we are to live differently. In every previous creative act, verse 3 through verse 25, the animals, the birds, the fish, the vegetation, God creates them as whole species. They are numerous after their kind. Chapter 2, we learn that God brought the animals, plural, to one. Adam. Only man is created singularly. Only man is created to himself. He doesn't need animals, birds, fish, vegetation. He needs the triune God. 
God with intent created Adam. And by the way, the word Adam in Hebrew is not necessarily the name of the first man. It was used to identify the first man, and we call him Adam. But generically, it's the first name of a species of individuals. And Adam in Hebrew literally means, literally reflects all of us. Not just the first, <clears throat> not just the first Adam. Only Adam and Eve are created to themselves in the individual Adam. And Eve was created from Adam. There's a great distortion today about this. And again, when we get back to First Peter, we'll look at that in more detail. In a word. In a word, God teaches the precious and unique worth of each human being. Love your pets, that's a good thing, but they are not the same as you and I. God did not create them to be the same. Next slide. So the Latin term for created or in the image of God is imago Dei. And for you and I to be the imago Dei, to reflect this image. Now here's one of the great things about God. I had it on my, what did I do with it here? Here it is. We're coming back to that. God, we learned this last, well, in fact, we know it. If you studied the, the Word of God any length of time, you know this. But God has no image. Jesus said, my Father is a spirit. Jesus was spirit until the incarnation. God has no image. Not only does God not have an image, but God forbids all images that may project who he is. And then he creates mankind to reflect an image that can't be seen. What a God. We are the reflection, the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. Go back to the book of Hebrews. Let's look at the first three verses of chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke. God showed us a photo in times past to the fathers about no. No internet, no text, no social media, thank God. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by son. Now the word his is there, but it's italicized, which means it was added by the translators for clarification. So literally it reads, in times past to the fathers by the prophets, who has in these last days spoken to us by son. 
the monogenes, the unique and only one, God the Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, we're going to look at that this morning, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than angels, who are created beings, but they're not created in the image of God. I don't want to see an angel. I don't. Not in this life. In the life that is to come, I will be delighted to see angels. I want to see the reflection of God in me. I want to see the reflection of God in you. That's why we were made. And so he says, being better than the angels, he has by inheritance, by positional inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Then there are a number of quotes from the Old Testament. He closes out chapter 1 by teaching us this, talking about angels there. And then he goes into chapter 2, warning those that your focus is not to be on the created beings of God. Your focus is to be on the one that has no image and that speaks. This is the God that we serve. Now, why did God create a single man and woman? So that we know that for any that may take the life of one man, or woman for that matter, it is regarded as if he destroyed all men. Adam, the generic reference of mankind. Now the corollary of that is true as well. He that saves one man is regarded as if he saved all men. Enter the cradle, the incarnate one, the Word made flesh, the unseen God became the seen God-man. John wrote, and the Word became flesh, he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Matthew 1, we read, from the cradle to the cross, God gave to us in a word, Jesus, the Savior. Here in Hebrews chapter 2, we, we are told that if we neglect, we let drift away, if we just ignore if we just say whatever to all these beautiful, good, gospel-oriented words, we, if we neglect this good, beautiful gift from God the Father, we do that at our own peril. Last Sunday I mentioned to you God is no less essential and inescapable when rejected as when he is believed. So it matters not whether you reject 
what's written here or reject the Imago Day, or whether you want to subscribe to any other type of, uh, uh, of uh, philosophy, it matters not because God is no less essential or inescapable if you do that. This is the God with whom we have to do. Now, we started several weeks ago looking at forgiveness of our sins. We then examined satisfaction for our sins, and then we took uh, a look at substitution for our sins, and now we're looking at salvation from our sins, and as Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. So we focused on, next slide, four words, started looking at four words that define for us, four principles, if you would, a different aspect of each of our needs. The sinner's needs. And that need, the great need, is a, that of the Savior. So last Sunday morning, we looked at propitiation. Not the first time that we've looked at it, but certainly this is a refresher course. And propitiation underscores the wrath of God upon sinners. One way to look at it is our punishment. Our just punishment is due because we're sinners. Secondly, this morning we'll start to look at redemption. It displays our captivity to sin. Redemption, there's always a cost with redemption. Always. You can define it as our purchase. Who purchased us and why? Third, justification. It's our legal guilt before God. We deserve punishment because we are legally guilty. We have broken his law. And if we've broken it, the word says, in one area, we've broken them all. Justification, then, is our pardon. And then, finally, reconciliation. Now, two or three weeks ago, we started to look at this. We won't make it there this morning, but we will wrap all of this up looking at reconciliation. Reconciliation is the enmity against God and our alienation from Him. Now, you may not think that you're an enemy of God, but the Bible says that you are. The Bible says, I am. We may not think that we are alienated from God, but without Jesus Christ, we are. That's what the Bible says. So you can think of this as our position in Jesus Christ. Now, these principles, these words don't flatter us. They expose the magnitude of the need of our sin. All four of these words highlight God's saving initiative in his love because he is the only one requiring satisfaction, and he is the only one that can satisfy. So we define propitiation as God propitiated his own wrath against sin. We looked at 1 John 4, and there it says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The substitute for the punishment of God. God's wrath had to be satisfied, and 
Only Jesus could satisfy that. Next slide, if you would. Let's start to look this morning at redemption. The second word of the four words. Redemption, if propitiation focuses on God's wrath being satisfied in the cross, must have been satisfied in the cross then redemption focuses on the plight of sinners. The fact that you and I are unable to do anything that saves ourselves. The plight of sinners that have been ransomed by the cross. God's wrath was satisfied in the cross, and we were ransomed in the cross. There was a price that was paid to ransom us. Now, the word ransom, we read it, if you remember, in um, in our uh, overhead this morning, Matthew chapter 20. In the ancient world, it was a technical term for the purchase or emanci- uh, emancipation of a slave. And the Bible is very clear that all sinners, until they are born again, are enslaved to sin. That's our plight. And no matter what we do, no matter how moral we may live, no matter how much education we may achieve and no matter how much success we may have, we cannot lift ourselves out of the plight of being sinners. And again, just look at the world. That is all we need to do. Now, we read, uh, we quoted Matthew 20. This is Mark's um, version of what Jesus said. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So what was the price? Death. What was the ransom? The life of Christ on the cross. Our Lord's imagery describes the fact that we are held in captivity from which only his ransom can pay for our release. Jesus alone. Christ alone. Now, what happened to Christ would have had to happen to us. But here's the rub. Even that is insufficient. If God had said everyone on the earth that has ever lived, estimated a hundred billion or so, that have ever lived, they must go to the cross to pay for their sins. Even that would have been insufficient. Had we died for ourselves, we still would have to satisfy God and he would have to accept our substitution. And had he chosen and elected to do this, which he didn't, the incarnation would not have occurred. There would have been no cradle. There would have been no Christmas. But it demanded the incarnation. Next slide, if you would. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, 
in instructing a young pastor, he said this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. There are three motives for redemption. Let's look at those in turn this morning. Our human plight, the fact that we can't save ourselves, our human plight requires the necessity of being redeemed. Now, there are many scriptures to this, many scriptures to all of this, but we're just focusing on a few. A couple of months ago, we were in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we looked at this particular verse, verse 18. Peter writes to a scattered group of believers that were frightened because of the persecution that was taking place in Rome. And he writes to them saying this, knowing that you were ransomed. And he says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. One of the main constituents of our sin is the fact that we tend to be people that are steeped in our tradition. And because our moms and dads, because our grandmoms and granddads and ad infinitum, because they were in a certain faith or because they were not in a certain faith, then so we make the choice, well, if it's good enough for them, good enough for me. But, but Peter says, you were ransomed from this type of thinking. So my question to you this morning is, have you been ransomed from this type of thinking? The Bible is the one that makes the adjudication. Not our moms or dads, not my, my mother and my father both are in heaven. And my grandparents. But I was saved not by adhering to their tradition. Understand, we are not saved by adhering to our parents or grandparents' tradition. We are saved because we were ransomed from their tradition. Well, they, they were good believers, and yes, my folks were too. Brought me to church because of that. I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. But it was in spite of this that Jesus moved through his word to save me, and so it was for you. Now, these traditions are good sometimes, as long as we do not place our faith in the traditions. That's what Peter says. Inherited from your forefathers. Be very careful that our salvation is based on what the word says, that our redemption is being based on being ransomed. Verse 19, 1 Peter goes on to say, as uh, being ransomed by the blood of a precious lamb, that of Jesus Christ. Without God's intervention, sinners will continue in the same old, same old. We would not know that we were created Imago Day in the image of God. Without preaching, without teaching, we wouldn't know this. And can you think of the millions and yet billions of people that do not know this? 
one of the springboards for evangelism is the fact that we have a responsibility to convey that wonderful news. You are made in the image of God, and God has communicated to you. We're the only species that can communicate in such a fashion, orally and writtenly. That's it. Our dog barks. Usually when he barks, somebody's coming down the street. Those of you, Megan does, does your hair. Every time you roll down Trinity Place, if Seamus is outside, he lets us know. In fact, one, of the, one day he knocked on the door, said, hey, Ernie, here's a note. That's who came down the road. Did he do that? Did he do that? No. Because he's not made in the, made in the image of God. Billions don't know. Teach this to your children, by the way. Now be sure you're acting like the Imago Day when you teach your children. Because a lot of times I don't act like I'm made in the image of God. Solomon, in his later years, wrote this. That which has been is what will be. That which, that which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. And without the proclamation of the word, whether it be preaching or teaching, exposure to the word through study of the word of God, people still die in their sins and go to a place Jesus said was prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, the Lord prepared two places. You're going to a place prepared for the devil and his angels, or by God's grace and his mercy and his love, you're going to a place where Jesus said, I'm preparing for you. God has prepared both for his intent. Titus, again, Paul writing to a young pastor, he might redeem us from every lawless deed. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we started to look at the types of sin, the words that were used for sin. And here we learn that one of those words was lawlessness. Sinners are lawless. And until we call and receive Christ's death, and the fact that his death uh, savaged, salvaged us from all the ravages of the fall, we'll learn later on when we come to reconciliation, this not only includes reconciling you and I back to the triune God, but it also includes the entire universe that he made. That's the first thing. It requires the necessity of being redeemed. Secondly, our redemption requires a price to be paid. Are you coupon people? You get coupons on your, on your phone now, can't you? Yeah. 
coupons or us or whatever. The, uh, lots of places. And you go and you, go, you use that, uh, that QR code or whatever you have down at the bottom there and you put it under the little thing. It goes beep, 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 beep. Now that's a poor illustration, but redemption requires a price to be paid. The ransom price began with the incarnation, the cradle. It began with the incarnation. Actually, it began in the foreknowledge of God. It came to fruition when God in Christ entered our space. And he not only entered space, but he entered our condition. Because God said, you're to be made in my image. He is the express image of God. Here is the second Adam. He's like me because he is me. This God did to redeem us, to make us and save us to be like Christ. Next slide, if you would, brother. What's the ransom? What was paid? <clears throat> the blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1.19 teaches us, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. We covered this when we looked at substitution a few weeks ago. Christ's life, his incarnate life, was violently ended as his flesh lost blood. What killed Christ was the forfeiting of blood from his body. I had opportunity this week to, to uh, visit Steve Edwards in the, in the hospital in Virginia Baptist. We talked a great deal. We talked about how close he came to passing from this life to the life that is to come. And I'm not going to share all the details, but basically he, when he went through the first surgery, they had to almost supply as much blood through transfusion as his body held. When the blood leaves the body at a certain length of time, the heart stops pumping because there's no pressure. Why do they take your blood pressure? To make sure that the heart is producing and moving the blood through the arteries and veins. His incarnate life was violently, violently ended as his flesh lost blood. And then third... And here's the thing that comes home to all believers. The Redeemer has exclusive rights over those he purchased. Jesus is Lord. Uh, I, I get so tired sometimes seeing on Facebook with, you know, this... Lordship, salvation, all this. Just, just remember what the Bible says. You don't have to add or subtract anything from it. The Bible says Jesus is Lord. 
That's all it said. So just remember that. Jesus is Lord, and I am not. He is Lord over the church. He's Lord because he's Lord over the church. By the way, when we leave here this morning, the church has gone home. The building is still here, but the church has gone home. I'm part of the church. If you know the Lord as Savior, you're part of the church. The church is leaving. It's evacuating. Come back together to, again tonight. But if he's Lord, he's Lord over the church and believers because we are the church. He bought us for the highest price that has ever been paid for anything that needed to be ransomed. His life's blood. A few weeks ago I was going through uh, Facebook and I saw this silly meme. You see these things, sometimes people put these posts up and you may have seen it but the meme said it was, there were letters it was written across it says uh, say amen if you love God and you don't go to church. Say amen if you love God and you don't go to church. And literally scores of people that check it. I like that. Who's Jesus Lord over, by the way? If he's not Lord over the church. Over his own people. How does that square with Christ's purchase of the church with his blood? Can't have it both ways, folks. If the church was worth his blood, there's no worth in us other than that which Jesus Christ himself saved. And that alone makes us worthy. If the church was worth his blood, and it was, then is the church not worth our work? Individualism is killing the local church. Understand, he's Lord. And all we need to do is read the Bible. Revelation John wrote, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain 
and you've redeemed us. You have ransomed us to God by your blood. So this little babe in a cradle, this little babe in a manger, with barely maybe a, a, a pint of blood, maybe two pints of blood in his body, as he grew and as, as he matured, as he became and, and uh, assimilated to become the, the Messiah, he was a Messiah in the cradle, remember that, but as he, all of this grew in his grace and his knowledge, we learn that from Luke chapter 2, we also learn it from the book of Hebrews here. All of this blood redeemed us to God. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you? So he uses the metaphor of temple to talk about church. Whom you have from God and you are not your own. What's the third point? The Redeemer has exclusive rights over those he purchased. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. If you go back earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul talks about the type of lifestyle, a lot of the uh, uh, aberrant lifestyles that uh, are lived today that were lived then. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And Paul says, and such were some of you. And then he goes on as he finishes up chapter 6, he says... Listen, your body is a temple of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God lives within you. The Spirit of God through Jesus Christ redeemed you. Live like it! And we're to live like it. Believers belong to God three times over by creation. We reflect the Imago Dei. Not only me, Hitler reflected the Imago Dei. Did you know that? Fill in the blank. Karl Marx. Fill in the blank. You could just go on ad infinitum. Serial murderers. And there the Imago Day has gone its own way. We belong to God three ways. By creation, because of his ransom, and his Holy Spirit's indwelling. Next slide. Now, redemption means that we have no business being slaves of anybody or anything else. It cost Christ his life's blood. We're not slaves to not slaves to our job, not slaves to anything. There may be good. We are under the tutelage of Christ, and the Bible says that we were once slaves to sin. We are now slaves to Christ. We are redeemed by His precious incarnation 
and his blood. So we open this morning talking about men and women, boys and girls, being a singular focus for the triune God. Now, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. And then we continue looking at words, because these words, propitiation, redemption, we won't get to justification this morning, we'll pick that up next Sunday, and reconciliation. All of this necessary to have our sins forgiven. This is the way God intended. If you remember, last Sunday morning we also mentioned to you that as um, Wyatt and I were, had a, were chosen in this game here a few weeks ago with our family to debate which is mightier, the pen or the sword. We mentioned that to you as we started through looking at words because there's so much downplay on words today until you say a word that offends me or I say a word that offends you and then, oh, words become very important then, don't they? Which is mightier, the pen or the sword? The writer of Hebrews says, how are we going to escape? if we neglect the words of these pens. You see, God is no less essential and he's no less inescapable when we reject him as when he is believed. Have you been ransomed this morning and have you thanked God as a believer for your redemption? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for these words. You spoke to us with prophets. You spoke in these last of the last days by your son. You continue to speak through your word to our hearts and our minds. And I would pray this morning that if there's any here today that do not know you as Savior, that they would come to the serious understanding that they are sinners before you. They deserve your punishment, but they are willing to confess and repent of their sins and call out to Jesus who has removed his Father's wrath against us. There is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. What a great and precious truth. As children of God, let's not be as those, and so it's so common today, Father, let us not be as those that would, that would neglect the house of God, that would neglect, and, and, and in doing so, Father, they neglect the preaching of the word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So remind us of that this day. Our prayer is that you'd have your sweet will, your divine way, the remainder of the service this morning. In Jesus' name I make this prayer. Amen.
We're going to sing a closing hymn this morning. And the hymn is for the fellowship of God's people, but it's also a call. The Word of God always calls. There's always a line of demarcation once the Word is taught or once the Word is preached. That's why Jesus would say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. What are you going to do with the Word now that you've heard it? And so, we, if you know, do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, our plea to you is to be reconciled back to the triune God through Jesus Christ. We can't save you, but with a, uh, if you make your way to the front here this morning, we can take you to a private prayer room and lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to be responsible to him as a child of God. This last week we had a couple of people, we got a, a couple of uh, uh, young boy and a young man that we're going to baptize here in a few weeks. Looking forward to that. So maybe perhaps you know the Lord as Savior and you need to follow him in believer's baptism. We encourage you to make that move today as a child of God. All of this sometimes is rote. But words need to be wrote in order that we remember them. And God has spoken to us.